You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. Today, we're talking one of the golden generation, Aurelio Vidmar, recently back from Thailand where he's been coaching. I'm going to have to read this one. Um, I know it used to be Bangkok Glass, but it's now BG Panthers United. Um, a former Oli Roo coach, um, former Adelaide United coach, obviously getting to that famous semi-final in the AFC some years ago. Vidy had a 500-plus game professional career. Um, and I, I look today, over 250 of those games with Adelaide City, so I'm sure we'll touch on that just a little bit. But his playing career took him to, from Australia to Belgium to Holland to Switzerland to Japan, um, Spain, and back to Australia and arrived back in Adelaide just before the uh, the A-League kicked off. So he's had an illustrious career went w- with Adelaide, uh, coaching Adelaide initially as an assistant coach, and then as the, the head coach, some fantastic times, made a grand final, made the, the AFC Champions League grand final, um, and then and then for six years coached the um, our under-23 team, the, the Oli Roos. So, Vidi, welcome along, mate. It's fantastic to have you back in the country and fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Gary. Good to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, you you too, mate. So ha, you 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 almost a, maybe not not quite a week back in the country. How was um, how have you settled back into Adelaide, catching up with your family again, and um, and um, dealing with you know not not being not having to get up tomorrow and coach the team again? <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great, mate. Um, yeah, I've done the mandatory two-week quarantine. I um, I was a little bit unlucky, to be honest, because I had the um, application to uh, enter the country and enter the state um, two weeks ago for have a seven-day quarantine and do that at home. But unfortunately, yep. I arrived on the day where the new variant started uh, taking off. And so yep. they shipped us off onto a bus into a Medi hotel and uh, yeah, you can imagine what uh, how I was feeling at that stage. Yeah, just like uh, the rest of the bus as well, they weren't too happy. But um, yeah, because they don't what they weren't sure what was going on, so uh, they put us in the hotel for a couple of days, and then we managed to get out. So I completed the other twelve or so days at um, at home, and now I've been almost a week. Yeah, out of the um, out of quarantine, and and all good. I'm a I would have had it, mate. That's uh, since COVID started. I've done five months in quarantine, so wow. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that that is that is truly crazy. And I'm um, between Australia and Thailand and Singapore as well, of course, because you you're in yeah. Singapore um, with another another new project over there, which which we'll touch on. So I actually was thinking about that today. You've got a um, like me. You've got a daughter that's a basketballer. I, I think uh, Gabby's. Um, uh, on scholarship in America, you've got um, a talented wife that's a, a netball coach and, and also a talented administrator. Um, uh, dad's a, a football coach, and that can mean you don't necessarily get a job in Adelaide. It could be in Melbourne, it could be in Zamunda, or it could be in Singapore, or it could be in Thailand. Um, and that's sort of the life of an uh, of a coach in the the professional game. H- how have you dealt with that? as a family how, how does how do you make all that stuff work it's um it's quite complicated sometimes uh, as you as you know um look i think the first first and foremost is that uh the family understands sport like you said my wife's heavily involved in netball um 
uh, her mum was highly involved in netball for many many years um you know her dad sarah's dad they involved the glenelg football club the glenelg cricket club her brother also played sanfl footy um sarah's sisters um also was a netball coach for a long time was the af afl w general manager of, of um women's sport at collingwood just she just left there recently so the whole family is just non-stop talking sport all the time so they understand and they also understand that you know um, they want to make sure that dad's doing whatever he wants to do that he loves and obviously i love coaching yeah. and unfortunately if you're not coaching here in australia and you want to keep working uh you need to look offshore and um and that's what's happened to me if i could get work in in australia then <laughs> that would be a lot easier yeah. but that's a little bit complicated um but i don't have any regrets yet yeah, we spend a little bit of time away um but that's all part and parcel of the coaching caper unfortunately gary yeah yeah it is and and there's so so few jobs here in australia the other thing that went through my head today um prior to you you're heading off to singapore and and, and thailand um, you you had a stint in one of my old jobs as director of football. Um, yeah. Not the job in Adelaide, but uh, Adelaide. So you, you give up the coaching and you drive a desk and a laptop and you're involved yeah. in con contracts and salary caps and all of those things. Um, how did you how did you cope with that? Did you, it was essentially it just the love or need to to be a coach um, overtook the. That maybe the, I'm not sure whether it's a safer role or not in a professional support club, but <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're right, Gary. Look, I I came home um, some years back after the the first dinner at Bangkok Glass, and um, I wasn't working. And Pete Vanderpol, the chairman of Adelaide, says, "Why don't you think about being a football director?" And and I really never had any thoughts about doing that. Anyway, to cut a long story short, over months it sort of progressed that, okay, let's give it a go. Um, and it's very different, as you know. Uh, you, you did a great job at Melbourne Victory for many, many years and um, yeah, you, you're stuck on, on a computer all the time. Or, although coaching, you're also stuck on a computer a fair bit as well. But um, it, it's very different. And at the end, I just felt I missed the grass. I wanted to be on the grass. I want to be teaching. I want to be coaching. And that's something that's really deep inside me. So uh, at the end, that overtook my um, – the reasoning why I really wanted to go back into coaching is because I, I wanted to teach. I wanted I wanted to be there with the players and, uh, and um, the day-to-day -day stuff on a computer and sitting on behind a desk and all that. Uh, paperwork just didn't sit well with me, and um, and that was fine. You know, I had a good discussion with Pete, and uh, you know, he he understood that. And uh, once the coaching is in your blood, it's very difficult to uh, to take out. Yeah, yeah, no, couldn't couldn't agree more. See, see, that, <laughs> that hasn't actually got his feet on the grass for donkeys years now. So, All right, let's go back to the beginning. You you had a stellar playing career uh, overseas, uh, as I mentioned before, came back to uh, Adelaide um, with Adelaide City and then Adelaide United was formed in that last season of the NSL before it kicked off. Cosy was the coach. You, you went there as a player. Um, 
And I'm guessing that was around about the time that you first got into coaching or started to think about coaching. Yep, correct. Um, so Adelaide City folded, I think that was uh, 2002-ish, something like that. And then there was, I think there was about an 18-month period between when the National League um, closed up and the A-League started. And so I'm like, uh, what, 36, almost 37 at that stage and continued to train for over 18 months. Hired a personal trainer, did everything because I wanted to continue to play and I was felt good. Um, so anyway, we start pre-season, almost completed pre-season, probably about a month away from the start of the season. And I got the dreaded tap on the shoulder from Cosy. <laughs> so <laughs> we went and had a coffee and uh, yeah. He made it clear that wasn't wasn't going to happen. So and I was I, I was almost 38, I think, at that stage. I wasn't gonna cause a stink and um, went straight into um, into being uh, an assistant coach there and, yeah. and that's where it all started. And and that Adelaide City as Cos's assistant was your first, was that the first opportunity you had to coach? Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah. yeah. You you had some uh, fantastic coaches on the, on the journey. Um, Zora Matic at, at Adelaide, uh, Eddie Thompson with the Socceroos and I'm assuming also at San Freche in, in Japan. Yep. Cosy, uh, uh, the, the great and fiery man as well. Um, on your playing career, was there a coach that you had or experienced that really made a significant difference for you and, and made you think about coaching as a career? Um. No, not that they really made me think about coaching. They just had all different types of influences on me. And, um, you know, uh, as a player, you're always analysing what coaches are doing. And um, you say, yep, I like that or I don't like that or I would do this and I wouldn't do that. Um, but I had different influences through the coaching while I was playing. You know, a couple of coaches in um, in Belgium, um, Paul Tunis, who uh, was at Warrigan. Uh, he was a very attack-minding coach and uh, um, that was great for me because when I went to Belgium, I was playing as a striker. And yep. uh, and then also the late Ro Robert Wasege, who was at uh, Standard Liège, um, was all, also that type of coach, just wanted to attack all the time. And, um, and then unfortunately, I only had for three months one of the godfathers of the pos possession football, uh, Juan Manuel Leo, who's um, a very close confidant of uh, Pep Guardiola, he came to Tenerife for the last three months of the time that I was there, and and he was great. He was still very young there; he'd already coached probably a couple of um, La Liga teams, um, and he was like 32, 33. He was a lot um, younger than some of the players, so um, yeah, that was a quite an eye-opener as well because of the things he did was a, a little bit different of what uh, most of the coaches were doing at that stage. Yeah. You you, you had that opportunity with, with Cosy um, as the assistant. Were you, were you starting to, you know, some some in the early days of our coaching, uh, being an assistant coach is good, all care, not a lot of responsibility. Um, we pick up cones and put out cones and, and you know, get, get stuff organised. But yep. where, where was your first real opportunity to get stuck into coaching on a day-to-day -day basis? 
Uh, well, it, it, as you know, the how the assistant role is, and look, the assistant role is probably a lot different than it was uh, 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, they have a lot more responsibility now than um, obviously when I first started. Yeah. So um, I was the assistant coach and I'd always take some of the younger players after the training sessions, whatever the, the trainings that uh, uh, that we did and completed once that was done i always used to take uh, the younger kids to work on their technique and and other aspects of their game so that was the part that I, I really enjoyed but really the first time that i actually had to take the real responsibility was uh once cosy left adelaide united after the second year and we went straight into a champions league campaign that was my first gig so <laughs> i i hadn't even coached a a uh, <laughs> league game before, and my first game was a Champions League, so that was an eye opener. I'm sure. And so, how that that first season, uh, your first, I think, in the first season, Adelaide United, um, I, I don't think went fantastically well, but but probably a great learning opportunity for you as a coach. Yeah, I think we started from memory. It was a while ago. We we started well, and then probably around about halfway, we started to really dip. And I think we finished probably out of the finals, I reckon, six or something like that. And then yeah. we went straight into a Champions League, um, a second Champions League campaign. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with everything, Gary, as you know, as a, as a player, you're always learning. And the more, the more you learn and the more experience you get, the better you're getting at your game as a yeah. player. And coaching is no different. And, uh, you know, if you look back to all the coaches when they first started, Sir Alex Ferguson, for example, he was close to getting sacked before they won an FA Cup and all of a sudden, you know, 20 years down the track, became a legend of, uh, of Manchester United. Um, and it's, that is how it is with sport and, and players and coaching. The more experience you get, the more pressure you're under, uh, the more you're understanding, the more you see different things. Uh, the more you're asking questions, um, and I think everyone—certainly I can—but I'm sure everyone could also say that, you know, when they started coaching to where they are now, they're a completely different coach oh, and absolutely. a completely different person. Yeah. Well, if if they're not, they're probably no longer employed as a coach. <laughs> probably right. <laughs> probably right. Did Did you that that second that second season when you guys went to the 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 grand final, uh, the Champions League, which was uh, a remarkable, absolutely remarkable achievement for Australian teams um, to get to that far in the competition. Com when you compare the the resources at hand of, of A-League clubs uh, to, to the big clubs in China, Korea and, and Japan, did, did you approach that second time around differently? Were you, were you wiser about playing home and away football and, and that knockout sort of, sort of game? Yeah, we were, but we also we were wiser with what was actually happening in the area. So um, first and foremost, what we did was after that first year, um, we understood, and I think the public also understood exactly what it was because, you know, we were going into it for the first time and everyone was going, you know, what's this Asian Champions League all about? And um, so the second time we sent our team manager over to Asia, to all the teams that we were playing, and just did a massive reco session on the stadiums, the change rooms, the pitches, the hotels, food, the whole box and dice. And so we got all that information. So there was no surprises. 
yeah. and all that information w- was given back to the players. They they knew that when we go to Vietnam, there's going to be frogs on the pitch, you know. And, <laughs> and when when they're here and we're telling them that, we say no, seriously, there's going to be frogs on the pitch, and they think you're taking the Mickey. And then when you get there, they realise, oh yeah, you know. So we've already told them months in advance this is what's going to happen. So yeah. there was no surprises. So we were more prepared. Um, for those little, you know, things that sometimes are out of your control. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's important. Were you able to keep that going once you got out of the group stage into the knockout phases as well? Um, I don't know. I, th- I think once we got through into the round of 16, um, more or less we knew exactly what was going on. And by that stage, I think we went to Japan round of 16 from memory. And, um, uh, yeah, you, you know, when you go to Vietnam or you go to J- Japan, there's a vast difference. You know, you, you you go to Japan, you're not worried about the training pitches because they're pristine. You're not worried about the, the, the stadiums because they're immaculate. Uh, you go to Vietnam. Um, I remember we played, I think it was Bin Dong in Vietnam. We didn't even bother having showers at the hotel, at, at this um, stadium after the game because they were filthy. Yeah. So we just hopped straight on the bus and uh, straight back to the hotel to have a shower. So those small details helped, definitely. Yeah. Thanks, Woody. That, 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 uh, that, that's a good insight into that. It's, um, it, it's a challenge, particularly when those games are midweek and you've got, you know, nine, 14, 20-hour flights from, from Adelaide to get into Asia to be able to play them. And then, of course, the same coming back and and then backing up a couple of days later to play another A-League game. It's, um, yeah, it was it's, ridiculous because we, you're, you're right, just the, the backup, especially when you've only got, you know, a group of 20, 22 players and um, to back up um, over, a, you know, quite a few, several months like that was very difficult. And we made the grand final that year of a- ACL and we also made the grand, grand final of the A-League that year. So that was a remarkable job. But, Gary, as you know, you you were involved in victory over that period as well. Once the team's starting to click and the harmony's right and everything's going well, is you've you got so much momentum and the momentum's incredible. And that's what happened throughout that the course of that year. You know, we we were coming back, landing in Australia on a on a Friday morning and, and playing the next day on a couple of occasions. Yeah. Um, but the players had just adapted and that was what's going to happen. And, you know, what can you do? Out of your control, it is what it is and just get on with it. And Absolutely. that was the strength of the group. Yeah. No, it was a fantastic group and um, a fantastic outcome. Um, changing tack just a little bit here. We've... This question sort of evolved um, after the early days of the podcast. I was listening to a, um, a business podcast that was talking about the difference between um, aspiration and capability. And I thought, bloody hell, that's, that's a great question for football because we can, people can have, everyone's got to have a philosophy about the way they want to play. Uh, and I can have a philosophy that I want to play a high-intensity attacking brand of football and and do this and do this and do this and do this. And I turn up to this particular club at this particular time and the playing group that I've got is this and they currently do this. So, so we're, you know, and, and that might mean that this is where my aspiration is, the capability of the group is here right now. Yeah. Where do you sit on that? sort of spectrum how, how, how do you go about making that work because you you've obviously been in that 
that boat from a national team perspective as well. You've you've got the uh, you've been an assistant with the um, with the Socceroos, and, and you ran the the Oli, um, the Oliroo program for 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 five or six years as well. How do you go with that difference between aspiration and capability? Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes a little bit difficult um, because I, like every coach, you have your ideas, you have your your philosophies, you're thinking what you want to do and how you want to do it. And I think you have to be a little bit lucky at times. If you have a club that's going to support what you want to do, then, you know, you have a little bit of leeway and a little bit of time to get it right. Um, yeah. Some clubs just want results very, very quickly and then – you have to decide, well, do you want to be stubborn and stick to your philosophy and the way you want to do things or do you need to just to get results and do whatever you have to do to get results? Um, that probably for the first time happened to me when I, I went to this last scene at Bangkok United, uh, Bangkok United, Bangkok uh, Glass, or Patham United. Um, we had a quite an old group, um, very experienced and um, they for they were in second division and played a five five three two, uh, very defensive, and got promoted from the second division back into the first division, yeah. and they did exactly the same, sat almost on the edge of the box, and soaked up pressure and won the championship. Believe it or not, so. They did it that way, and when I came there, I have a different thinking, and so we tried to change and tweak a few things. Um, we got, we we actually played Asian Champions League again, and that was part of the reason why I went back to back to Bangkok, and um, we qualified into the round of sixteen. But I wanted to change a few things, and I did, but. What happened is under pressure, they did what's natural to them. Yeah. Five at the back <laughs> on the edge of the box and loved, just loved to soak up pressure. Loved it. It's like, you know, when you got defenders who love to defend, <laughs> that's what they were like. And I'm pulling my hair out and I'm going, get forward, <laughs> get forward. And that, but they just had this ability to, to soak up pressure, it was incredible, yeah. and um, and it was ugly, and I'd get a headache. I'm going, <laughs> no, that's not what I want. And, yeah. and and then you get, you know, the the chairman upstairs going, that was fantastic, that was brilliant result, <laughs> and like I'm going, that was shit, <laughs> that was crap performance. So I had to tweak a little bit. I had yeah. to tweak. Um, I wanted to play a little bit more aggressive. Uh, we had older guys and some really experienced guys who have played national team and for many, many years. So we compromised on a mid block rather than a high block and rather than a low block. Yeah. So in a way, yes, you have your own thinking, your own philosophies, but also I think what's really important is that you understand the strengths of the group. And that was the strength of the group. And I would have just shot myself on in the foot if yeah. I continued to do that because they just weren't conditioned to do that. And that's where I say you need a little bit of luck. If you know that the club supports you 1 million percent where 
this is what I'm going to do, and we're going to get rid of a bit of dead wood and bring in a couple of guys who actually can play the way you want to play, yeah. and you have that two to three years to do that, that's great. Unfortunately, most of the places you go to, you don't. Yeah. When I went to Singapore, for example, that was how it was. They wanted to change philosophy. They wanted to uh, attract the better players, bring an attacking brand of football. That's what we did. And, you know, second year in, they win the championship. Yeah. So when you have that support and you, you don't have that uh, chairman complaining about every pass or every result, then you're in a, you're in a good place. Um, but unfortunately, not too many coaches have the luxury of having that uh, on a consistent basis, Gary. Yeah. Vinny, how important is it for coaches at the interview stage getting a job to be really clear about their philosophy and very clear about the way they want to play? Because I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that's, that's a key question now when you're being interviewed for a role. I'm going to say at most, most professional clubs, and maybe not all of them, um, judging by the way you see uh, coaches appointed around the world from time to time, it's you sort of sit and it, it does make me shake my head. But is that significant? You know, when you when before you take the job in Singapore, that you you're talking to the interview panel, the chairman, the, the CEO about the way you want to play football and and how that's going to work. Yeah, I, I think that's extremely important because if if you don't stick to your morals and your values, then why are you doing the job? And um, as an example, so when I went to Singapore, to be honest, when they approached me, I really didn't want to go to Singapore because we all know Singapore is not a nation of, uh, um, of, of a great football ability. They have definitely a lot, a lot of good players. The national team's not highly ranked, but they do have a lot of good individual players. But they said, listen, we're going to fly you into Singapore and just come for a week, have a look around. We're going to discuss the, the, the project and, you know, what we want to build here. And it was just one of those things that when I got there and I met the chairman and met uh, a couple of the uh, management team, that everything just sort of synced together. Yeah. And um, they 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 wanted that a type of football. They were very, very ambitious uh, they're ambitious to spend money, attract more players, better foreigners. They they ended up building a fifteen million dollar um, academy and first team uh, venue. So the guy was very very serious. Then you know that you know you guys are on the same page, heading in the right direction. And then for me, it was yeah a step back in terms of where it is in terms of world football. Yep. but a great opportunity to work with some great owners and a very ambitious club. Yeah. And um, that was very easy. When I went to Bangkok, Patham United, the, my second stint, in, in, May, in, in May they rang me, the chairman again, and said, listen, we made a mistake sacking you last time and we want you back. And, um, but I knew... I knew that the leopards don't change their spots, nor yeah. them, nor me. So I knew somewhere down the track it was going to end up like it did up three or four weeks ago. I knew that 100%. I predicted it even before I went. And when I told my general manager at, um, in Singapore, they will give me the ass. <laughs> and he goes, what do you mean? I said, trust me, they will sack me. 
And that's exactly what happened. And I think I'm probably the first guy who's sitting on the top of the table with a game in hand, got them <laughs> to the round of 16 in the Champions League, they got sacked. <laughs> all, because, all because they don't follow a philosophy. They, they're not interested in, in anything, really. They just want results. And that, that doesn't matter how they get it. They just want the results. Although we were getting the results, yeah. they want control. And that's yeah. what they want. They want yeah. control. They want control of who's playing in the starting 11, which substitutions you're going to make. And at the end, it doesn't work like that. If you have any, you know, any morals and, and uh, you, you just can't put up with that. And, and that's what happened. It happened that exactly the same the, the first five years ago. And it happened yeah. exactly the same uh, this year. Yeah, remarkable. <laughs> Absolutely remarkable that that, that that still goes on and, and coaches are left to, you know, you make commitments, contracts, but um, you're left with your, your your family and a good lawyer um, to, to hopefully, hopefully. Well, Gary, yeah. I never, to be honest, I've, I never had a problem with any of that because they just paid me out. And I, I don't want to be paid out. I want to continue to work and do what I yeah. love. Yeah. But um, they knew they were in the wrong. And mm, the first time was it wasn't a problem. This time here, I made sure that it was all written in the contract. Yeah. And uh, they all agreed. So they had to pay a premium and they knew that. And, yeah. But they don't care. Yeah. And that, that's the bizarre thing. They just do not care. Yep, no problems. Here you go. Get out. And they'll move on to the next one. So if you were giving advice to coaches that were going to sign, well, it should be a contract anywhere, but let, let, let's say they're going to sign a contract overseas, that having that discussion about the philosophy and how we're going to go about this is, in, is important, but maybe not quite as important as making sure you've got the right contract in place? Well, I, I think all those things work hand in hand, but I, I, think, I think there'll be two types of coaches a coach who's going to say, no, this is my philosophy, this is what I believe in, and this is how we're going to do it, and I have the backing of the club. Yep. Or I don't care, I'll just do whatever because I want a job. Yeah. I think that's wrong. I think you've got to stick true to your beliefs and, um, and your philosophy, and if yeah. you don't get a job, then tough luck. But unfortunately, people want to work. So right. at the end, they'll just say, you know, bugger it. I'll do whatever you want but and and get a job. But eventually somewhere down the track, they're going to get rid of you anyway. So you're better off doing it yourself yeah. and your way. Um, and as I said, I, I, I was fortunate. I have been fortunate with uh, Adelaide United and had a tremendous amount of support with Sam Ciccarello and Michael Petrillo. And obviously with the Socceroos, it's a little bit different. Um, but and then also at... Um, at club level in, in Singapore and to a certain extent um, at Bangkok Patham United because I was able to do what I wanted to do in terms of the training sessions and, and everything else and have yeah. that report and that responsibility and that relationship with the players. But the management were just killing you, you know, behind your yeah. back all the time. And that's very hard to, that's very hard to control. Um, but uh, I think you have to be, if you're going to go overseas, you have to be very, very clear um, on what you want to do and that the club is going to support that. Um, yeah. Or don't take the job. 
that's my that's my firm belief but i also understand there's a lot of coaches pro pro licensed coaches spend a lot of money on their license and they can't work so yep. they, they just want to work that's quite normal so if you if if that is what you want to do then just be prepared because anything and everything will happen yeah Thanks for that, mate. All right, let's stop talking about managing up and the politics and, and legalities. <laughs> let's get back to that smelly grass stuff. How has your coaching changed over your journey? Um, look, you know, when you start coaching, you, you're coming out of playing, you think you know a lot, and generally you do, but coaching is very different. Coaching is very different. Um, you, you have to have that relationship with players. I, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've, I've, uh, well, in terms of my coaching, how I've changed. I have a very, very strong communication skills with the players. Um, yeah, maybe sometimes with the management, it's, it's not the greatest, um, but with the players, um, I'm just very honest. Yeah, and sometimes I don't like. Sometimes I don't like uh, what they hear, but the the thing is that I'm I'm always honest and always consistent. So there's no surprises for them, and yeah. and I have this great relationship with them. Um, that's my strength. But apart from the away away from the football and the tactics side of it, that if you don't have that relationship and maintain those relationship with the players by being open, open and transparent. And consistent, then you don't last too long. Yeah, it, and, and the proof in the pudding is, although I left Singapore and I've left um, Bangkok Glass on two occasions, the amount of players that are still in contact with me is incredible. So yeah. that tells me a lot. It's amazing, isn't it? We on the start of our journey, um, and I don't know whether this is is just true of former players um, or not, but at the beginning, I think that we've had so many conversations here and I I can think back to, to when I started myself that in the beginning we, we got all this knowledge in their head and we just want to get that out to us, to the players and, and, and get them up to speed as soon as we can. And I don't know that we want them to be impressed by what we know, but it's really important for us to get out what we know out and tell them that. Um, and as you get older and more experienced, that bit, is is important obviously the coaching part is yeah. still important but nowhere near as important as building those relationships and making sure that you understand who these people are as human beings yeah i couldn't agree more gary and um you know that just because you're the head coach doesn't mean you know everything <laughs> and i think that's where a lot of coaches get it wrong you know i i tell players if i don't have the answer you know i'll get back to you or or give me give me some feedback, you know. Um, we we've had many over the years, many discussions, even at half time. They're telling me, "What about doing this, coach?" And I'm thinking, actually, that's a good idea. Let's do it. So, yeah. when you have that relationship where it's open like that, and they're not fearful of, oh, just because you're the coach, that means whatever the coach says, it has to be right. Uh, coaches get a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong, you know, and. If you're not listening to the players, then they're not going to listen to you. So it, it's a, it's definitely a two-way street. And I think you know, over the last couple of years, we have many occasions 
when the players are th uh, thinking very differently to what I am, and I say, yep, sure, that, that's not a problem. Let's go ahead with it. So yeah. everyone then is involved. Everyone take, takes uh, responsibility, and I think that's important. Yeah. Uh, good on you. Thanks, mate. You're listening to The Football Coaching Life, a podcast brought to you by Football Coach Australia and making me the podcast. <laughs> the podcast professionals. Today's guest is Australian football legend Aurelio Vidmar, and we're talking to Aurelio about his coaching journey. Vidi, um, you've worked with some amazing coaches. Uh, I mentioned before some of them. You've worked with Ange at the, at the 2015 Asian Cup. You've worked with... Um, uh, I, I went through... I think this is the list of um, Socceroos coaches that you played under. Les Scheinflug, Eddie Thompson, Terry Venables, Raul Blanco... Frankie Farina, um, and then you also worked along the way, I think, with Holger Osiek and Ange Postacoglu, Clubland with um, Zoran Madic and, and Cozzy. Did 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 any of those people take on a mentoring role with you in your in your coaching journey? Have you have you had someone that you can bounce ideas off as a as a coach? Not really, Gary, to be honest. But when I'm working with them. They're, they're in a mentorship role anyway. Yeah. Um, most of them I don't have too much contact with today, but, you know, that, that's a, probably a typical football thing that as a player or as a coach, you're working together, all of a sudden, you know, your, your paths separate, you go a different way, but two years later you walk past them on the street and it's a big hug and, you know, going for a drink and whatnot. Um, but I always try to pick the brains out of all the coaches, always yeah. having dialogue and discussions. Um, some, some things are just fascinating. You've probably heard a million stories as well, Gary. You know, some things you just can't believe that's even possible. Um, so, uh, but I, I try to speak to a lot of people, you know, Sam, Michael, the guys I mentioned before, you know, yeah. when I first started, they were great influences on me. Um, even guys outside of um, football and other sports also you're always you're always learning something even if it's probably something that mm, probably I shouldn't do that uh, at least then you know um, so uh, and, and I said and even the players it's amazing just because just because they're players you think no they have no idea or you know they, ha they don't have a say you pick up a lot of things coming off from the players uh, sometimes from from <laughs> even from your own coaches, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, um, and I think you, I think you just got to be open with all that, uh, Gary. But I don't have one yeah. specific specific person that I I turn to. Um, yeah. You know, we had even Terry Venables there for a while through late late nineties, and yeah. uh, and he just had an amazing football brain. Yeah. Incredible. And he coached very differently as well, you know. On the pitch, it was you know A, B, and C. But the things that I picked up from him, for example, is you'd walk into the lift, and after a training session, or if you just finished your lunch and you're going into the lift, and he's in the lift with you, and you'd say, "Vidi, make sure don't forget when you're making that run at that back post that you know you're running in front of the defender because you know he's always watching the ball." Just one minute chat, yeah, and it sticks. Yeah. You know, a day or two later, you're back in the lift or you're on the bus and he'll say, hey, Vidi, remember? And he was like that a lot. Just, I wouldn't say, I, he, he he had a lot of information in his head. Off the cuff, he just used to tell you things. And that's a great 
point of coaching as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Mate, you, you're blessed with um, a whole bunch of talented women in your family, netballers, basketballers. Um, of, of other sports, have you have you learned anything or conversations from other sports about coaching or leadership or picked up little things and go, poor, I reckon uh, basketball, of course, has been set in screens for a long, long time. Yeah. There's yeah, some- I was going to say that basketball, you know, <laughs> your daughter plays at a high level of basketball and uh, – and where my kids also played here at uh, their junior club here in Adelaide, um, the senior the senior men's coach is very good family friends. So we're always having discussions about lots of things, you know, not just uh, the screens and the tactics and, you know, why you're doing this and why you're doing that, but also the, the man management of, uh, of teams. Uh, on a semi-professional level, it's a little bit different because they have to have a little bit more leeway in yeah. terms of, you know, coming late and, you know, not being able to train and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, the conversations are great. <laughs> so tell me, why do you do it? Why do you coach? Because <laughs> I'm an idiot. It's love, guys. You know, you know. You, you can come home frustrated and, you know, kicking things and throwing things. and uh, But at the end of the day, it's – I just love teaching. And I don't even see it as a – I don't even see it as coaching. You know, it, it's teaching and trying to impart, you know, the things that I've learned and the way the modern game is today onto, yeah. you know, the next generation or the, the players that I'm involved with. And that's yeah. what I that's what I love because I, I think I've got – a quite a deep understanding of you know the modern game and it's just all those small details that I just sometimes I don't see those coaches doing that a a lot of them do yes but you know all those small one percenters um, with those little discussions or the way you 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 position your body or the or the type of run that you need to make um, sometimes the players are just they're just doing their own thing, and the hardest thing is actually to tell them, actually, no, don't do that. Try to do this because A, B, and C. You'll get a better outcome of it, you know. Um, that's the part that I love. Yeah. So you, you love the game and you're a teacher at heart. I am, Gary, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's terrific. All right. Um the on the coaching journey, there uh, it's not linear. There's there's ups and downs. There's great days where you win things, you don't win things, you lose games, you have a run of losses, or you you have a chairman or a CEO that that, that is demanding this, that, and the other. H- how important has it been for you to develop resilience? You obviously had to do it as a player. You move into the coaching realm. How important is it for coaches to develop to develop their resilience muscle? Oh, it is important. It is important. Um, yeah. As you said, it's not linear. You know, you're going to have some great days. As a footballer, because in my view, there's nothing better than being a footballer. If you can play for the rest of your life, that would be ideal. But that's not the reality. Reality is if you want to stay in, in the game in some capacity, you got, you're going to be an administrator, you're going to be a coach. So... I, I think what I see, most of the Australians, um, they're able to adapt because um, 
I went overseas. I think I was quite late. I was 23, 24 when I went yeah. and had a heap of heap of um, setbacks but was always resilient, always bounced back. You know, we had those periods where uh, the FIFA windows weren't protected by FIFA, so it was always a tug of war between yeah. club and country. But I always said to the club, buggy, I'm going, and... Every time I went and came back, I always found myself in the reserves for at least yeah. three or four weeks. And I said, okay, no problem. And always just believed in yourself and you, you'll bounce back. Yeah, you had some crappy times through those periods. Yeah. But um, they're the things. If you don't go through those difficult times, then you, you're not able to succeed. That's my view. That's what I tell my kids, you know, um, I got two two daughters who are both sides of the spectrum. I've got one who's not so talented but works her ass off, and I've got the talented one who's lazy as hell. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can imagine the one with less skills but the work ethic, no problem, very resilient, very resilient. The other one, in fact, mm, no resilience at all. So. And I'm trying to tell them you need it because yeah. you're going to have a very bumpy road in life, not not just sport, but your life is going to be bumpy and you just yeah. got, got to deal with it. Yeah. So that's certainly one, uh, one trait that uh, has to be right up there for sure. Yeah. Is that the being a teacher of resilience? That's certainly a, certainly a role for a parent. Is, is that, a role of the modern day coach regardless of where you're coaching or is it still you know in europe we've got so much money we've got so many players um it doesn't really matter we don't have to help this one become more resilient we can just bring in another one that is more resilient uh, you, you talk in terms of players yeah 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 Did you, you know, sorry the question was really as a coach do you see that now as a as a growing and more important part of the role of coach that you've got to help the players develop their resilience? Oh, I think so. I, yeah. I think you have to try to help them in any way you can. Um, you know, when you when you go to a new club, for example, you have a fair idea of the players, but you really don't know them intimately until about two or three months later. When you're working with them every day, you know what makes them tick. You know, what makes them happy, you know, what you can say to them, what you can't say to them. Um, but yet m my belief is you have to give everyone an opportunity, a fair opportunity. Yeah, I think it's you're not doing your job if you think, you know what, Gary, he's not doing the job, you're not good enough, out you go, I'm going to bring in Peter because Peter's going to do a better job for me. If you do that, you need to help Gary. And you need to tell him why and the sort of things and make him understand where the level he needs to get to. Most coaches, unfortunately, in Europe, and I see it many, many times, is that, as you said, not good enough. We've got thousands. That one's gone. The next one comes in. They don't have time for that. Yeah. I think that's a big mistake. Yeah. No, but like on the other side of the, of the coin, Gary, is most coaches at the highest level it's really it's results 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 so you know they can wash their hands very very quickly with the players in australia where 
you you know you're dealing with 20 23 players you, you need everyone on board you yeah. cannot have one player there regardless if he's 15 or 38 you can't have him left alone without helping him even 38 year old guys can always learn something absolutely no like that so what have been some of your most enjoyable moments as a coach to be honest gary um you know the profession is very difficult very tough profession so i've loved every minute of it you know through the the good times obviously they're easy to to enjoy and even the 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 crap times you're learning always a lot of things um so you know i think i was blessed to be able to play for 20 odd years as a professional footballer um and at this point in time i'm blessed to have been coaching since 2010 uh you know 10 11 12 years now yeah. so uh, that's it to be honest it's uh it's it's the buzz I, it's difficult to say you know you, you go you go to work and you you see your staff and you know everyone's on the same page and bang they're on to everything okay and and work is great and the training's going well and then the performances go well then you can do that the, the following week and you get a shit result and a lot of times if you don't have the right the right people behind you you're left alone because they're waiting for you to come up with all the answers okay yeah. but that's why you have a staff I, I think the staff is so so important and again i've been fortunate the last two clubs the staff uh, and all of them local, mind you, uh, where you have cultures where, you know, seniority, you know, you, you can't speak above the senior guy. Yeah. And um, I've tried to change that in those those uh, um, areas in, in Singapore and also in, in, um, in Thailand where, no, I don't care about the seniority. If you're part of the staff, you need to open up. You need to speak up. And um, and that's been the greatest thing for me, uh, seeing those shy guys who I oh, know, you know, once the big guy talks, we can't say anything, but you come in and they go, hey, Vidi, you know, did you think about A, B and C? And I say, actually, no, I didn't, but that's a good point. So that's an enormous help as well. Um, so yeah, going back to your original question, I'm blessed that I'm able to have coached for such a long time. You have great moments. You had bad moments. I'm hoping to be coaching in another ten years' time as well. So, um, and who knows what's going, you know, what's going to happen and where it's going to take me. Absolutely, mate. No, it's a magical mystery tour. That's for sure. <laughs> Biddy, what are a couple of a couple of the valuable lessons you learned along the way? Um, I, I think I alluded on it um, a little bit earlier about coaching, about being honest. And um, that's definitely one thing that I've seen through other coaches um, that has impacted me as well as a player. And it was one thing that I said I would never, ever do. And, and by always telling the truth, you, know, you can never get into trouble. And... And as you know, that um, a lot of players don't like to hear that they're not in the team. 
and they want to know why I'm not in the team. And yeah. it doesn't matter what you say, right, because it's just a lot of hot air for them. But it's important you tell them something. And that's one thing that I made sure that I, 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 I learned that because it happened to me a lot of times as a player. But I said that would never happen while I'm a coach. So even if they don't like it, I'll explain why. They don't have to accept it, and they generally don't. But the only thing I want is that they become professional about the decision. Yeah. And um, um, they're the types of things along the journey that has put me in a very good position and put me in good stead in terms of they might not like me, but they respect me because, you know, I'm not giving them any crap. It's exactly how it is and consistency. Yeah. Okay, then we're we're, uh, we're on the downhill run here. A couple, couple of questions to go. What does success look like for you as a coach? Well, that's a difficult question. Um, improvement. I, I think uh, it's easy to say success looks like five, six, seven championships, two, three cups, whatever in your whole competition in your whole life coaching career. And that's fair enough. And most people would look at that. Um, but for me, success is knowing that I have the respect of people and knowing that I've actually had an impact in players' lives in terms of being a coach. Um, for me, that's my success. Yes, the championships and all that, that they're great. Not that I've had many. I've had a few. But knowing that I'm making a difference and that they know that I'm making a difference, for me, that's success. Yeah, I like that a lot, mate. Thank you. That's terrific, that. Okay, final one for today. If you have one piece of wisdom you could share with coaches, whether they're on the beginning of their journey, in the middle of their journey, or close to the end of their journey, one piece of wisdom for coaches, what would it be? I think just be true to yourself and don't waver. You can't. I think as soon as you start wavering and it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I, I, I don't think you, that's sustainable. So whatever you believe in, uh, whatever your philosophies are, um, stick to them. Be true to yourself and be true to those and and be a normal human being. Don't be someone that you're not because you're not an actor. People say that, the coaches, they're an actor, but you're not an actor. You're actually, you're a human being. You're a coach. You know, you, you've got emotions and there's a hell of a lot of emotion in the games um i would just just be yourself you, you know you're coaching if you're a, you're a coach that likes to have a joke and and kid around that's fine do that but as long as you're teaching your players something you know you just can't go you know telling a joke every day and then you know you're not worrying about the football because you get found out so be true to yourself and your beliefs and be the person that you are not someone else Love it. What a great place to finish that is. Be true to yourself. Aurelio Vidmar, thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure having you on today. You've been listening to the Football Coaching Life podcast brought to you by Football Coaches Australia and Making Media, the podcast professionals. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, please go to www.footballcoachesoz.org.au 
buy a membership, renew a membership, or just find out more about coaching and how you can make a difference. Be true to yourself. Have a great day.